0: if you have a Bible with you back in Nehemiah this morning chapter 2 again if you don't have a Bible with you or don't have access to one there should be one in the chair under you somewhere or around you somewhere um, if you don't have a Bible you can stop by the info desk on the way out we would love to put one in your hands um, so in on September the 11th 2001 I um, I was a freshman in high school. if that makes you feel old, just know that there will be people that graduate from high not high school graduate from college this year and enter the workforce who were not alive on that date. so you're welcome for that okay like there will be there will be teachers that will go into teaching history next fall that 9/11 will be a historical event for them that they were not alive for so there you go. Um, but anyway, September the 11th, 2001, uh, I was a freshman in high school, and I can remember exactly where I was, like many of you can, uh, when I kind of was made aware of what was going on. Right? I was in freshman health PE class. We had a substitute teacher. I remember sitting there, it was on the first block of the day, some kid comes running into the, the room. And he's like, Hey, you guys need to turn on the TV. There's some stuff going down. And so, turn on the TV, and the rest of the school day, not a single bit of work was done. We all just sat and watched everything that was unfolding uh, in New York and Washington and the field in Pennsylvania. Um, And so fast forward to December of 2004, so a little over three years later, uh, I was a senior in high school, and we uh, went on a senior trip to New York City, and we did all the Touristy things, right? We went to the Broadway play. We went to the Statue of Liberty. We did the Empire State Building. I slept through the Rockettes at Radio City Music Hall uh, We toured NBC Studios and United Nations. We did all that stuff But the thing that I remember more than anything else was going to Ground Zero all Right. And remember this is three years after the fact, all right? So there's some time that has passed um, but I remember like Stepping off of the, we were on a tour bus and stepping off the bus, and, and, and just like all the images that I had seen, like on TV, um, all the stories that I've heard, just did not do justice to actually seeing it firsthand. Um, like, so stepping off the bus and you onto the sidewalk, and the first thing I remember noticing was that all the sidewalks were still cracked and busted and torn all to pieces, right? Again, three years after the fact, and then looking around at the buildings that uh, were still in, like intact, but were close enough to, to have damage. Like it was very clear that um, like there was still some rebuilding work to be done. Right, you could see them. They were still replacing windows and repairing uh, some of the stonework and all that stuff that needed to be done. Uh, and then like the most like daunting part of of it all was uh, when you got off there. I mean, always memorials and stuff set up, still flowers and all this stuff everywhere. But there were these two gigantic holes in the ground, like where the buildings stood. And and like I don't know if you've been there before, like either before nine eleven or after, but I'm talking like like the holes were big enough for like multiple bulldozers and excavators and dump trucks, like down in these huge craters in the ground, like still cleaning stuff out. Three years later. Right? So I can't like I can't imagine uh, the destruction and devastation that that had to have been on that day. But the reason I I tell that story is uh, because that's the only like personal experience I can think of that might be somewhere close to what uh, Nehemiah experienced here in chapter two as he returns to Jerusalem. All right, so let me pick it up for you just to remind you kind of where we are in the story. Nehemiah has about to return to Jerusalem, which has been destroyed because of uh, the, the Babylonians came in and they wiped everything out. You can read about it in Jeremiah uh, 52 if you are so inclined. Burnt the city to the ground, destroyed the gates, destroyed the temple, destroyed all of it. And so here, where we're picking up the story this morning in verse 9 of chapter 2, is Nehemiah going back to Jerusalem to kind of survey the land for himself. And so here's what... Here's what we we say. Actually, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and stand. almost forgot. I invite you to go ahead and stand, and we're going to read verses 9 through 20. It says, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. And now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, It displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. And there was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night uh, by the valley gate to the dragon spring, into to the dung gate, sounds like a gate I wouldn't want to visit. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. And then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so I returned. And the officials... "'did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, "'and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, "'the officials, and all the rest who were to do the work. "'And then I said to them, "'You see the trouble that we are in, "'how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. "'Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem "'that we may no longer suffer derision.' And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sambalat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, uh, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. You can have a seat. So where we are in the story, as I said last week, uh, Nehemiah makes his request to King Artaxerxes, the Persian king. He was the cupbearer to the king, and so he makes his request to the king, Hey, I need to go back to Jerusalem to repair the city. Uh, I'm going to need uh, one-year approval. I'm going to need some letters uh, to get through the provinces to get to where I need to go. I'm going to need uh, X amount of timber and wood and resources to make this thing happen. And the king says, go. And so here, we pick up the story this morning, Nehemiah went, and now he's on site. Right? He's he's there, he's surveying the, the damage. Um, and so what we see is that, that evidently he didn't go alone. The king sent a couple of Men with him, um, but then in verse twelve we see that that as Nehemiah actually goes out to to survey the actual city and to look at the damage, uh, what we see is that he goes out with just a few trusted men, okay, but not only has he only gone out with a few trusted men, even though he's surrounded by some people he trusts, he still hasn't told them exactly what the Lord has put in his heart to do. okay? So it says in verse twelve, and I told, no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. That'll well, be an important verse that we'll probably come back to like several weeks from now, but just mark that down. But going on, verses 13 through 15, is Nehemiah uh, just, really, literally just a, a recounting of him going around the city, right, traveling around, looking at this area and this section of the wall and this gate. Uh, and And I imagine he's, Right? He's, he had an idea of what all this looked like in his mind beforehand. Because remember, the, the, if you were here in the first week, men showed up. Uh, Nehemiah asked him, hey, how's Jerusalem? They give an account. They say, hey, it's in bad shape. So, so Nehemiah probably has an idea of what everything looked like. But now he's seen it for himself. And so he's looking, and, and I imagine he's doing some planning, right? Some, some scheming, some sort of surveying the city to get a sense of like, how much work is this going to be? Uh, how much help do I need? How long is this going to take? Right? I, I, we, knowing what we know about Nehemiah, that, that he's, a, he's a man who prays, we can assume that maybe he's doing like a little prayer lap around the city as he's uh, going out and, and surveying everything. But then in verse 16, there's, there's like a shift that happens. Okay? Let me read it again. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Now, up to this point, it's been Nehemiah saying, The Lord's put it in my heart to rebuild this city. I'm going to go rebuild this city. Like the burden of, of rebuilding the city of Jerusalem has been on Nehemiah. Right, but but here the for the first time you see this is not just a work that Nehemiah is going to do in Nehemiah's mind yes the lord the Lord put it on his heart to do but it's going to be accomplished by all of the people okay so that the the burden extends on to the others one because Nehemiah could not possibly do all this work just on his own right we're talking about an entire city that's been destroyed right the walls' broken the gates are destroyed the temples destroyed the homes are burned like there's Total devastation. When you think of like the images you've seen uh, of, of Maui with the wildfires, and I'm, I'm just kind of that's in my mind. I don't know if that's what it looked like in Jerusalem, 500 years BC, but right. But we kind of have that mental image, like it's it's desolate and destitute. So Nehemiah can't possibly do the work on his own. But what we're also going to see is even, even though the Lord put it on Nehemiah's heart to do the work, he's not calling Nehemiah to do the work alone. He's calling the people to do the work. Right? It's a, a group effort. And so just as we're going to have some vision meetings here later today, Nehemiah kind of has a vision meeting of his own here in, in verse 17. Right? It says, Then I said to them, so to the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, all those who were to do the work, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Right, so, so think, like, what I want you to see happening here is this, there's a sharing of the burden that's going on. right? To, to go back to Chapter one. When these men show up to give Nehemiah a report of the city, he's like, "Hey, how how are they? How are the remnant? Those that have returned from exile to the city of Jerusalem? How are they?" And the 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 men tell him, "It's like, well, they're they're in trouble. They're in shame. Right? They're in a uh, they're in a bad spot." But but notice the language changes here in verse seventeen. It's not they anymore. It's you see the trouble that we. Are in. Nehemiah goes and he's like he's identifying self, himself with this people, with his people. He's saying, it's not they or, or them that are in trouble, it's we, it's us. Like there's a great need that lies before us. And because he identifies with the people and they're together in this, then he invites them into the work. Right? That's what he says in the second half of verse 17. Come. Let us build. Right? This is Nehemiah saying, it's not just my work. This is our work. Right? If this city is going to be rebuilt, if the wall is going to be rebuilt, it's going to take all of us working together. And so you go on to verse 18, and, and Nehemiah recounts for them how he got into this place, kind of how he, the, the king and everything worked out uh, in favor, how God was sort of providentially moving things and, and setting things in order so that Nehemiah could do the work. But then in verse 18, you get like this, this beautiful affirmation from the people. All right, so Nehemiah cast the vision, right? Nehemiah's like, hey, if this is going to work, it's going to take all of us. And here's what we read in the second half of verse 18. And they the Jews the priests the nobles the officials and all those who Nehemiah invited into the work and they said let us rise up and build right months of praying and planning and preparing and scheming have all like culminated in this moment where Nehemiah just lays out the vision lays out like here's what the Lord has put in my heart to do. And the people, right, the people are like, hey, if this is the work the Lord has for us, then, then we're in. Sign us up. Okay, And, and here's what's amazing, like, look at verse, or the very last sentence of verse 18, sorry. So not only do they say, let us rise up and build us, then it goes on and says, so they strengthened their hands for the good work, right? In other words, they knew this is going to be a hard work. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. There's going to be opposition from, from outside. There's going to be challenges and obstacles to overcome within, all right? We'll talk more about those in, in the weeks to come. But in spite of all that, the people see this work before them, this good work, and they strengthen their hands for it, and they say, hey, this is worth our time. This is worth our effort. This is worth our energy. This is worth sacrificing for. This is worth uh, the, the opposition we're going to face. This is worth the challenges and obstacles we're going to have to overcome within. This is worth being inconvenienced for because they saw this was a good work, and it's a good work because it was God's work that he would called them into. Right, so they strengthened their hands for it. And they said, hey, we're in. Right, and, and as we'll see as the story unfolds, they were in. Right, this is not like rah-rah, feel-good, uh, pep rally sort of thing. But when it got hard, they were like, I don't know about that. I know we promised, but this is really hard. No, they, like, we're going to see, like, they go through some stuff. And they're, like, they're in. Right? They don't bail when the adrenaline runs out or uh, when, when things get challenging. I said, This is the work that the Lord has for us, and we're in. Sign us up. They strengthen their hands for the good work. And so it's an inspiring story. Right? It's a pretty awesome story. But what do we do with that? Like 2,500 years. After the fact, what, what, do, what do we do with that? The fact that this man, right, gets a vision from the Lord. Uh, the Lord lays it on his heart to do something. He goes and he surveys the city and he communicates this vision. And the people are like, yes, we're in. What do we do with that? Like I got kind of want to, here's how I want to look at it. I want to look like two things, kind of through two lenses. One is like really specific to like today, literally today. And then the other one is just kind of more generally, more broad for uh, all of God's people across all space and time, regardless of circumstances, situations, all right? So let me start, Let's kind of zoom in to, to where we are literally in this place this morning. Um, so Nehemiah had, had kind of been, if, if you remember, like he shows up on the scene he, and he goes out at night to sort of survey the city, all right? The, the text says, He hadn't told anybody what was in his heart to do, and he goes out at night so not to be seen or noticed. He's like on this silent sort of uh, reconnaissance mission, right? And if I can be honest, like that's what the last seven or eight months of my life have felt like. Um, Just, now now to be clear, like I haven't been out riding an animal around E-Town at night. That's not what I mean. That might be more fun than what I have been doing. Um, I've never ridden an animal in my life. I don't know if that makes you think more or less of me, but either, either way, um, off the rails. Back, okay. Um, but but I feel like the last seven eight months of my life have just been like sort of gleaning information, right? It, it's been a it's just been a busy few months behind the scenes, right? Been Scott and I have been doing a lot of talking, a lot of praying, a lot of conversations, a lot of planning lot of preparing. We've sought a lot of wisdom and counsel from a lot of different sources. Um, if I can be candid, like we've, I've willingly subjected myself and my family and my home to be assessed and for others to give their opinions of us. Um, and it's all because like, we just feel like the Lord's called us into something. Like, we just feel like the Lord's put something on our hearts, like a work for us to do. And we want to do all that we know to do to kind of step forward and be faithful in that. And so um, later today, we're going to have a couple vision meetings, and we're going to share some of that stuff uh, with you. We get to finally share some of this burden that, that I feel like I've been carrying for months now, right? I get to kindly kind of lay it out there and be like, here we go, uh, it, to really see if if this is something like the Lord really is calling us into, or if we've just totally misinterpreted and missed the boat on the good work that the Lord has for us. All right, so now that your curiosity has peaked, um, we'll talk about more of that over lunch, all right, if you signed up for one of the vision meetings. If you didn't sign up for one of the vision meetings, let me know. We'll probably have a spot for you. Uh, If you signed up but you can't remember which one you signed up for, I can also tell you which one you signed up for, all right? Just see me after church. Uh, But So that's here and now today, but that's not really where I want to focus. What I actually want to focus is like zoom out, like big picture. What does this story mean? Like what do we do with this whole idea of of God putting a work on Nehemiah's heart and Nehemiah like bringing others into the work? Like more broadly, what does that mean for us as a people of God, okay? And to kind of get us there, here's what I would remind you of something I said, uh, I think it was week one, I, I don't know, it all runs together at this point, but multiple weeks ago, um, you think about the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem in that day was the, like it was the the witness of God's presence and God's power among his people, but also like to those who weren't his people that were watching and they were like, there's something different there, right? So so Jerusalem was the witness of God's presence and God's power uh, at that time, okay? Now, we don't have a specific geographic location that is the, like, central location where, where we experience God's presence and power, right? There's not a specific place that we have to go to to worship, right? Like, John 4, that's, Jesus said, hey, the day is coming where well, you will no longer worship in Jerusalem, right? That day has come because of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, like, there's no more sacrifices, there's no more temple, like, there's, it's out, Okay? So we don't have a geographical or, or specific location that we go to to experience God's presence and power, but what we do have is something actually much better, something much closer, something much more accessible, and that is the church. All right, the church is, should be a witness of God's presence and God's power It should be a witness to us in this room. And when I say church, let let me back up even more. Let me be clear. I don't mean like this building. Like, you know there's nothing special about this building, right? It's just metal. It's like this weird combination of drywall and metal, and depending on how hard it rains, sometimes water, okay? So when I say the church, I'm talking about like this community of people. Like we, together, are to be the witness of God's presence and God's power, both to one another, but also to those outside of of these walls. Like like the world, the community we we live in should be able to look at us and be like, there's something something different about those people. A little weird, but different. Okay? Like we are the witness of God's presence and God's power. And so here's what I want you to see, though, is we will never be the witness that we could be until we're all corporately together united working towards the same goal working towards the same mission right because it is our responsibility as the church to build the church okay let me show you what i mean this is in ephesians Chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. It says, and he, it's talking about the Lord, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So this is effectively my job description. Right? My job as your pastor, your shepherd slash teacher, is to equip you for the work of ministry. All right, that, is, that is my job. Okay? Just as Nehemiah brought the, uh, the people and said, hey, there's work for you to do. Like, part of my job is to say, hey, here's some work for us to do. And then to, to give my life to equip and train and teach and try to lead and mobilize you to do the work. Okay? Now listen, I'm in it with you. It's not like I stand up here and say, go and do. i like will get in the trenches with you. All right? But it's my job to lead us into that. Okay? Like, like if I'm here, here's the, if I, if I am doing the bulk of ministry, then I'm failing at my job. Right? And not only am I failing at my job, but I'm shortchanging you. Because the Lord's called you into this work too. Right? This is the Lord's call on, on your life, is to roll up your sleeves, and get your hands dirty in the work and mission of the church. Building and growing the church, building and growing the kingdom. That's work for all all of us, right? So we're not, we're not like in the first century. We're not rolling up our sleeves, building the wall and building the city and building this physical thing to look at. But we are trying to build the kingdom together. Right? We are trying to build the church together, both uh, in terms of like maturity and numbers, right? It's not It's not either or. We want to be like both deep and wide, right? We want to have some, Some roots and maturity to us, but we also, man, we want to reach people. We want to reach more people. That's what we're called to do. Okay? Now, listen, here's what I do know confession, safe space. I am self aware enough to know that I've got a lot of room to grow. Like, I I am a notoriously terrible delegator. Right? My wife would tell you that. Right? I, I just, honestly if we can be real honest it's probably like a combination of like nature nurture like my own sinful prideful nature that just assumes that if I want it done right I just got to do it myself I'm, I'm acknowledging you that's not healthy for me okay it's not right I shortchange you whenever I do that okay like so I've got some some room to, to grow in in leading and in equipping and sending you but but here's what I also know is that we've We've all got room to grow, right? If we're going to grow, again, immaturity, numbers, deep, wide. There's a fountain flowing. Okay, never mind. Some of you guys have a church background, you know. Some of you guys are like, what? Okay. If we're going to grow, whether it's deep or wide, hopefully both, it's going to take all of us in the work together. All right, let me go on. This is back in Ephesians 4, verses 15 through 16. Listen to what Paul writes. He's he's talking about the church here. So says, speaking the truth in love, we, us, are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, that's all of us, joined and held together By every joint with which it is equipped, that's all of us, when each part, all of us, you guys are picking up on this now, right? When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. Like we grow when all of us are engaged in doing our part. Like you, the image here, it's one that's used over and over again in the New Testament, is the image of the body. I I am, I'm not, listen, I'm not a doctor. Not the kind that you should take medical advice from, I've told you that. I I don't know that much about anatomy and physiology and all that, I don't even know if I just use the right words or not. But what I do know is like, the body grows a specific way when each part of the body is doing what it's supposed to do. Right, when the body's not growing the way it's supposed to, it's usually because something is not doing what it was designed or intended to do. It's not functioning the way that it should. and the same is the true with the body of Christ. Like we will not grow into what we could be or should be until we're all doing what the Lord has called us and designed us and equipped us and placed us to do. Right? We we've all got a role to play here. We've all got work to do. Right? To build up this body of Christ to be an effective witness in, uh, in the community that we live in. And to put it another way, maybe this will make another way of saying the same thing. Um, the, the church should be a place that defies the 80-20 rule. You guys know what the 80-20 rule is? Like the, if in case you don't, just so we're all on the same page, it's just kind of this idea that uh, 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. Okay, and that's like kind of a, a corporate principle you know, but but what I would say to you that, um, and the church should should defy that because the church is not like we don't function by like corporate standards, okay? Like the church is ha- held to a much higher standard than than whatever corporate America is, right? We're held accountable to to the to the book, and if I'm reading the book right, the only way the church is built up is when every Remember, not, not 20%, right, not, not even 50%. The church is built up when 100% of the people are engaged in the, the work and the mission, okay? And so to revisit the 80-20 rule, right, let's say, let's say 20% of us are doing the work, All right? Now, listen, I think we're above the 20% rule here because you guys are amazing, okay? But let's say 20% of the church is doing the work. Then you know how much work is getting done? 20%. Right? 20%. Because the body of Christ has been designed to function in such a way that the only, like, the only way we become what the Lord has called us to become, the only way that we, uh, we like, step into fully the work that He's called us to step into, is when 100% of us are engaged, on board, on mission doing your part right pulling your weight and this is to, to go back to nehemiah this is what nehemiah chapter three is we're not going to read it this sermon is technically supposed to like encapsulate chapter three because next week we're going to jump to ca- chapter four um, i would encourage you to read chapter three on your own time not the most exciting of reading i'll let you know okay it's just it's basically just this redundant list of so-and-so work next to so-and-so and they accomplished this work and they work next to so-and-so. It's just like 30 chapters of that over and over again, okay? But I do want you to see one particular verse, but before I show you that verse, look back up at Nehemiah 2, chapter 16. Right, I read this earlier, but I want, to, I want to point something out to you. So this is, says, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and all the rest who were to do the work. All right, so you got this group of people that Nehemiah says, these people are going to do the work. Now, I want to show you one verse in chapter 3. If you look at verse 5, so remember, Nehemiah is going to start counting out, here's who's doing the work. They're working on this gate. They're working on... This part of the wall, they're working next to these people. But in verse five, it says this. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, catch this, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Verse 16, Nehemiah's like, hey, the nobles, they're gonna build a wall. Verse five says the nobles were like, mm, actually, we're not. And notice it doesn't, say, it doesn't say that they wouldn't follow Nehemiah. It doesn't say that they refused to work alongside their kinsmen. It says that they would not stoop to serve their Lord. In other words, this work that was being done around them, they were like, mm, that's beneath us. We can't be bothered with that. God had just delivered them from exile. They had been oppressed by enemies. And God, in his grace and mercy and kindness, redeems them from from exile, brings them back to their homeland. Right? They had done nothing to deserve it. In fact, you read the events that led to them being in exile. They had done everything to not deserve it. And yet God, in grace, in mercy, in kindness, brings them back to the land, Right? restores and reconciles. And what's their response? Hey, thanks for all that. Appreciate you. But, uh, yeah, we're not doing that. I mean... How arrogant, how ungrateful, how offensive for these nobles to, to knowing what God had done for them to say, yeah, cool, but that's not for us. And yet, is this not the same thing as being a, a Christian that is not involved in engaged in the mission and work of the church. If you're here and you're a Christian, follower of Jesus, you surrendered your life to him, you have been delivered from an oppressor far greater than any foreign army in your nation. You've been delivered from death. You've been given life. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've placed your trust in the sufficiency of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, you've been set free from the, the penalty and the punishment of sin. You've been moved from uh, an eternity separated from God. You've been reconciled to him. You've been brought into his family as a child, right? adopted in. And to be clear, it's, it's not because God looked at you and saw something that he was kind of impressed with and was like, yeah, I'll take you. The Bible says it's because God looked at you when you were at your worst. Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners. All those like grimy, nasty things that you don't want anybody to know about, God saw that, he knew that, and he said, yeah, I'll sacrifice my son for that. And he did. Knew you at your worst. Delivered you, saved you, redeemed you, restored you. Reconciled you to himself. And if that's true, how could we not stoop to serve our Lord? We're no different than than nobles that have been delivered and saved, and we're like, "Mm, nah. So let me land the plane with this. Let me say this first. If if you're here and you're not a Christian, okay, um, the the irony of this moment is is if you're here and you're not a Christian, your first step is not to engage in the work, right? Your your first step actually is to receive, right? To believe the good news that Jesus kind of did, like to believe that the work that Jesus did on the cross for you. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, you never surrendered your life, uh, to Jesus, what, what I'm saying is, is, I don't want you to work harder and do more. I want you to first realize that that you can't actually work to earn anything from God. That's not what we're talking about here. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, uh, y- your response this morning is to repent of your sin, to surrender your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if you're here and that's you, you're like, man, I, I need to do that, or I don't know if I've done that. I'd like to talk to somebody about that. Excellent. I would love to talk to you either down front here in just a minute or you can catch me after service is over, okay? But now let me go into this. For those of you that, that are Christians, here's my question to you. Is where are you building the body of Christ? So chapter three, like I said, read it on your own time, but it's all about this person worked here, this person was doing this, this person was on mission here. They all had a, a place so for you, like, like where, where are you building the body of Christ? Where are you building the church? Okay, and I'm talking specifically to those of you that would call Valley Creek Baptist Church, South Wilson Campus your church home. Right? If you're here and you're like, I'm just visiting, I'm kind of new, checking this thing out, you get a free pass this morning. Okay? Um, if you don't have, I would encourage you, Like, if you're a Christian and you're visiting like, and you're not plugged into a church, get plugged into a church. Okay? If you don't have a church home, we would love to have you here. I just need to give you a heads up on the front side. Uh, We're not a perfect church. We will let you down. Uh, (laughs) Like we're kind of grimy around. Like we're rough around the edges sometimes. Um, We've got some baggage, got some issues, which is great news because you'll fit right in. Okay, but for those of you that do call Valley Creek your church home, do you have a vital role to play here? For some of you, it's going to be like serving, volunteering in, in this specific ministry area. For some of you, it's going to be, I, that's not me. I can't, I can't do that. I don't have that gifting, right? Listen, kids ministry is not for everyone. Okay? <laughs> Maybe yours is like, I don't want to give. Like I've, I've got, the Lord has blessed me with gifts. Whether financially or whatever, I, I can I can give time, I can give uh, financially to support the mission and the work. Right, that's an important role. Right, for some it's like, man, I don't. I'm just trying to make ends meet. I don't know about that. Pray, right? Don't diminish. I mean, we talked about prayer a few weeks ago. Don't diminish the role that prayer has. You pray for good night. Pray for me. God knows I need it. Okay. Pray for our staff. Pray for our our volunteers. Right. Just, Pray, that's a good work to be engaged in, right? For all of us, for all of us, we're called into the work of, of proclaiming, First Peter 2, verse 9 or 10, I can't remember off the top of my head, we're, pro- we're called to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light we participate in the work and the mission by just telling other people about Jesus and inviting them them into this so that they may no longer be strangers and aliens but but citizens with the saints and members of the household of God like that's that's for all of us to do i don't care what your giftedness is or your financial status is or like that's for all of us So there's a, there's a role for you here. I dare I say there's an expectation for you to get involved in the work. Right? To come alongside other brothers and sisters, to link arms, to strengthen your hands for the good work that the Lord has called us to so that we might grow and become a greater witness of God's presence and God's power in the community where he has placed us. Right? So I'm going to invite you to stand, if you would. I'm, we're, I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to come. We're going to sing. If you need to talk, chat, pray, I'll be down front. Uh, but let me pray for us this morning. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy and your kindness. Thank you for delivering us from the penalty and, and the punishment that our sin deserves. Thank you for reconciling us and restoring us to a right relationship with you. And God, I pray that you would, Lord, help us for we maybe have, have refused to stoop and to serve. Or would you, would you convict us where we've refused to engage in the mission and the work that you have for us? Would you strip away any pride or arrogance or apathy or excuses that we may use to, that, that, that keeps us from engaging in the good work that you've called us to? And then Father, I, I pray that you would strengthen us Strengthen our hands for the good work ahead. There's no doubt that when we engage and we live on mission and we roll up our sleeves and get our hands dirty doing what you've called us to, we are met with opposition. We are met with challenges from, uh, fr- from the outside. We're met with challenges of, of existing and working alongside people that are sinful just like we are. There's plenty of challenges Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our hands for the good work ahead. So we love you. We praise you. Do your work in us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.